Hi there, welcome to Joe's Table Alaska, where I explore the food industry in the interior region of the state of Alaska. Interior Alaska invites all types of agricultural interests, from farming, foraging, to ranching, and encourages entrepreneurs who are engaged in sustainable growing of all produce all year long, despite the many challenges of the cold weather in our state. Food security, sustainable farming, agriculture, and growing our own food. These are important issues for us in the interior of Alaska. This is where we live. This is where we raise families and work towards self-sufficiencies. In this podcast, I speak with farmers, foragers, ranchers, butchers, and also with people who are dedicated in helping year-round with the food security for those in our community who have the need. I speak with people engaged in growing vegetables, in growing flowers, beekeeping, mushroom foraging, and many, many other endeavors. These are people who embrace agriculture to produce the most essential ingredient for us and for our livelihood, food. I bring their challenges, their journey, and their stories to you. I'm Joe, and this is Joe Stable Alaska. podcast is proudly sponsored by Denali State Bank. As a local community bank based in Fairbanks, Alaska, Denali State Bank believes in the importance of food security, self-sufficiency, and supports the homegrown agricultural-related activities that make food available, accessible, and most importantly, improves the quality of life for all Alaskans. Discover more at Denali State Bank. On this episode, we're talking about a fairly new and extremely successful effort by one person to connect Alaskan people with those who grow vegetables, flowers, source fish, create art, and provide multitude of products to interior Alaska shoppers. This is a hub that invites local entrepreneurs who can then share their products with consumers. Hi, I'm Joe. Join me as I talk today about bringing a community together around local food and local crafts on Joe's Stable Alaska. My guest today is Erica Moeller. She's the force behind the creation and success of Roaming Root, an Army veteran who has used her background in logistics to skillfully manage the ever-growing effort in bringing farmers, foragers, artists, ranchers, and fishermen together to connect with the interior Alaskan consumer. Erica is a phenomenon, and you will see why. Join me as I talk with Erica. Hi, Erica. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for joining me today. And let's dive right into it. Let's find out how did you get here? What made it all start? So we didn't have a lot of land that we could work with. So we're like, but chickens, we could do chickens. So in one summer, we did 200 meat birds, uh, you know, plucking them all by hand. Oh, boy. It was... It was a lot. It was work. Uh, It was a lot of work. And we realized uh, we were attending the Southside Community Farmer's Market, selling our chickens there. 
and I actually had to, I was working as a uh, DOD civilian on, on Fort Wainwright at the time, and I actually had to put in leave and like get charged vacation to go work at the farmer's market to make money as a farmer. And we also realized with the margins that we had that we would never, there was no way, we were barely breaking even. So we never would be in a position where we could quit our jobs and do that full time. So in dealing with that and talking with some other farmers, I realized that that was not a unique situation. Mm -hmm. um, there were more than one people that were in the position of working nine to fives and then going home in the evening and tending to their farms, uh, taking one of their two weekend days to sit at the farmer's market and things like that. And um, it really just made me realize that there was a hole in our community. There was a disconnect between the people producing our food and the people wanting to buy it. Yeah. And so we sought to bridge that gap. Okay. And that's what started the Roman Group. So did you um, leave your DOD position? I did, okay. yeah. So I started, uh, I was working with the Small Business Development Center and she suggested that if I, you know, if I didn't want to give up the dream of a farm, maybe I could start a store where we grew some things for the store, but we also brought in other people. Yes. And I was, I was like, that's a fantastic idea. Uh, rent is terrifying. Like, I don't want to pay a couple grand a month when lettuce sells for $3 a head. Like, there's no way I'll be able to do that. She's like, all right, well, I'll tell you what. Um, this is a thing that's happening in the lower 48. People are converting old buses and vans and things like that into <laughs> sales space. I was like, that sounds like a dumb idea. <laughs> and then two days later, I saw a little bluebird bus for sale. I saw a picture of that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I snatched up the bus and I was like, well, if, if this doesn't work out, we'll have a cool camper, you know, or something like yeah. that. And then I just, it, the more I thought about it, the more it made so much sense. Um, so we started going mobile and we did that in February of 2020, right before we shut down for COVID. Um, we shut down for a couple of months along with everyone else. When we reopened, we were in the bus and um, I think I, I worked my job for like two months and then I was in a position where I could quit that and do the bus full time or do the store full time. So the bus, the, the it, it's a mobile store then? It was, yeah. And uh, were you um, going uh, to several locations? Yeah, we had a different, we had a set schedule each week. Uh, I think we were going out five days a week. Uh, but every, so like every Tuesday was in one spot. Every Wednesday was at just a store. Every Thursday was at Ivory Jacks. Every Friday was somewhere I else, see, you know, I something see. like that. So it didn't change. It changed by the day, but not week to week. Mm -hmm. And what were you carrying as? Mostly produce. Okay. Um, we had some of the shelf-stable food that we had at the time was like Tanya's Biscotti, Elevated Oats, Heather's Choice. Um, we had one jeweler and one potter. So the idea was kind of brewing that like, oh, this could get bigger. Like there are other yes. types of products that we can carry besides just food. Um, but, you know, obviously we were confined to, I think it was, it's a 23-foot bus, so I think I did the math once and it was like 180 square feet or something like that. Um, so we did what we could and uh, then the store opened up, which was perfect timing because I was facing down winter and not knowing what I was going to do with the bus. The, so. the, let's stay on the bus for, for sure. a second. I mean, what a cool idea, right? <laughs> Thank I you. mean, you know, you can go to different locations. Yeah. Your clientele knows, you know, where you're going to be. And, and although you're limited in what you can bring yeah. to them, uh, it probably was real fun for you to do that. <laughs> yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> it was really fun because it was this really cool idea. And I've, you know, I was not raised... Um, I didn't know how to like use a drill 
for instance, until I became an adult, things like that. So yeah, yeah. for me to be driving around this like vintage, massive school bus and putting tire chains on myself and things like that, it, it taught me a whole different skill set that I wasn't aware that I enjoyed doing. So yeah. that was very cool. Um, from a logistics standpoint, though, it was it was a god awful nightmare. Um, I would have to because I didn't have a set location, and the post office doesn't deliver to my house. I would have to go to the post office and pick up everything that was being shipped in from around the state which anyone who uses the Airportway post office knows that can be a multi-hour adventure. Yes. Um, I would have to transport it back to my house, price everything, put it into Square, and then I would have to pack up the bus, go out for the day and actually make the sales, come back, unload anything that needed to be put into a refrigerator, and then do it all again the next day. Oh, boy. Um, and it was hard to hire any help because driving the bus was, it was such a touchy thing. It was breaking down all the time, backfiring a lot stuff like that so uh, was your husband along uh, he you know, in these uh, ventures or? he's incredibly supportive but he has his own job and okay. so when this started it was very much like I'm making the choice to do this um, he's going to support me in whatever way he can and he has worked a lot of nights and a lot of weekends with me but his job he works at REI and his job is his priority for the time being yeah for well him, so yeah I mean so amazing that you had to just you know I mean the big lift <laughs> you, you have to do everything yourself and yeah you probably were pretty exhausted at the end yeah. of the day it yeah. was yeah it was a lot of long days yeah where's, long days. where's the bus now <laughs> I, I have no idea <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i sold it um i don't remember when i sold it but i sold it to uh, an air force mechanic Okay. Who wanted to turn it into a camper, and I'm not sure if he still has it or not. <laughs> it's it's kind of has a similar analogy to Hungry Robot, you know, because yeah. they started in in a vehicle of some sort. They did, yeah, yeah. And so did actually. What was really inspiring for me was Blue Market AK down in Anchorage. Okay. They started in a little trailer, uh -huh. um, so it they had this little pop up trailer where like the sides would fold up. And they sold bulk goods out of there. Yeah. And in the span of like two or three months, they outgrew that trailer and they were in a full-fledged store. And I was like, wow, okay, I know Anchorage is a little bit of a different market than us, but we could also probably do the same thing. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so that was really inspiring too. Well, you know, you go to Hawaii and, and we go there often and there's a lot of, you know, these pop-up, you know, uh, roadside um, yeah, you know, like uh, little, like just farm stands, mom and pop, you know, mm -hmm. operations. They are, and uh, you know, so I'm I'm thinking that while I'm there and I purchase, I don't think about how their day is right, going. Right, probably is, yeah. And listening to you, I'm saying, okay, they probably are very to busy it. too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is a lot. Um, yeah. but it was a really great way to start out. I got the name out. It um, built my confidence in the in the model. Yeah. you know and um yeah like i said it was just it was just a wild adventure <laughs> so, so so when you got the storefront you had a smaller footprint correct okay yeah. and and then in a year you added on that's correct okay yeah so we uh we're in the space now where blush moon was when they were in yes. the china pump plaza hotlicks and gulliver's books were also there at one point in time or another. Uh, so we started off just in the one area where all the food is now for anyone that's been in there. And then on our one year anniversary, we expanded uh, during COVID, the, the space next to us had opened up. So we expanded into that and doubled our square footage. Uh -huh. um, and we're outgrowing it. <laughs> 
there's more products we'd like to carry. Yeah. So and probably more people want you to carry their products. I believe so. Yeah. 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 I think so. Yeah. Because you know it's uh, it, it's a good outlet. Yeah. You know, for their talents. It is absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And and there's a lot of talent in this community. Oh, there's so much. It's wild. Yeah. It's really wild. I I look at some of the pop-ups you do. You know, with that cottage bakery. Yes. Yeah. And. Yeah. Um, is it Delene? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She is amazing. She is. Yeah. She I, I is. just uh, have gotten to uh, attend two or three of her pop-ups. And, um, you know, that kind of stuff calls me, you know, like bread. I, I love bread. But I need to stay away bread from it. Bread calls me, too. <laughs> <laughs> but I need to stay away from it as much yeah. as I can. And, and sure. her bread looks phenomenal. Oh, her products are amazing. Yeah. She sells out so quickly. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, she's usually out of there by 1130. Like people, we always kind of brace for those Saturdays because we know it's just going to be a mad dash as soon mm -hmm, as we open, mm -hmm. but it's good. I, I'm thrilled for her. Um, I hope this is already common knowledge or becoming common knowledge, but she's actually looking for a brick and mortar herself. Yes, I don't blame her. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think, I think she could easily make the leap. Yep. Yep. She's, she, she's done a, a pop-up over at, uh, um, uh, Tommy G's, right. uh, yeah. I think couples. You know, I think, yeah, I and, think she's uh, done a handful there. Yeah, and uh, boy, people are lined up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> They're waiting wild. for her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So how many um, artists, um, crafters, creators do you think you have? Mm -hmm. It's hard to put an exact number on it because people will come and go. Um, yeah. You know, like we, and not come and go permanently, but like, you know, we'll say, oh, well, this batch of your work maybe isn't quite resonating with our customer base. You know, let's give it six months and that kind of thing. So people are kind of, we keep a heavily rotating um, inventory, but I think we have over 200. It's a pretty impressive number. Thank you. Yeah, it's a lot of people to communicate. It's a with. lot of people to talk to and, <laughs> yes. and deal with. So, uh, do you have criteria when somebody comes to you and no. say, "I want to," you know? The biggest criteria is that we have to have space, <laughs> and that's you know obviously that's a challenge. Um, any any food manufacturer is you know as long as their product is even remotely relevant, made in state, that kind of thing, like they will get in the door. Um, <laughs> there have been a couple of businesses that have closed down in the last year and just with the uh, food businesses that is, and just with the state of our food security in Alaska, like that's what we started for, right? For food producers and for farmers. Um, when it comes to artists and jewelers and things like that, I, I don't really have any requirements. Um, I think by now I have a little bit of a feel of what resonate, resonates with our customer base. Mm -hmm. So I have to kind of look at the, the product objectively and say, well, like this might not quite be what I think people are looking for. Um, but the beauty is that with consignment, you know, we can try anything for a couple of months and see how it works. And if yeah. it's not working, then, you know, we say, hey, at least we gave it a shot. It gives them a entry into this and, and they can say, okay, well, we tried. You know? 100%. Yeah. 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 Now, I, I, and I bet it gives them guidance as to what else I they need so. to do. You know? Well, and so a great example, and just because it doesn't work with us doesn't mean that it's not working sure. either. Um, Wares by Megan is a macrame artist here in town, fiber artist. And we were working with her when she first started, and I did not sell a single piece of her work. Um, just for whatever reason, something about how she was doing things then just, you know, my, my customer base just wasn't really feeling it. She stuck with it. She did a bunch of bazaars and her style has changed. We just had her as a first Friday artist and sold like five or six pieces off the wall during the month that she was our artist. 
So macrame you know. reminds me of the seventies. <laughs> it's making and a comeback. Yeah. Is it really? <laughs> it is, yeah. Okay. So she does like wall hangings mm-hmm. and okay. And like plant hangers and actually she made this little coffee koozie coaster thing that I've got my tea mug on so it doesn't mm-hmm. clink on the table. Um, so yeah, she she does things like that. <laughs> She's very talented. Her stuff is beautiful. Yeah. So. Well, the you know the store itself. Uh, feels full um, but I don't think it feels obstructive thank you um, you know that that you can't you know go around unless you're going to have a Delene you know selling her right <laughs> big goods, then, then it's, it's a little hard to get around yeah <laughs> um, but it, it feels um, full in the sense that there is a lot to see right and when I go on the other side where you have your you know ceramics and, and you have your art and fuse glass and all of that you really need to spend a fair amount of time because yeah. there's a lot to see right <laughs> yes yeah. yeah um yeah it's it is a lot and it is pretty full uh especially again there are some vendors that I, I would like to begin working with that we don't currently um but it's that that feeling that you described is one that we work really hard to mm-hmm. to achieve. Um, mm-hmm. We try not to put too much out at once, and we're kind of constantly going through things and just moving them. And um, sometimes all it takes is to move something from one spot to another for people to kind of notice it differently or sure. see it differently, and, and then it finds a home. So yeah. So I was in. Um, I want to say maybe uh, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, um, and. Um, well, it was it was Valentine's Day, and oh. uh, I wanted to um, do a, a fish, you yeah. know, dinner for my husband and I. Okay. And uh, so I bought that black cod uh, from Pelican, mm-hmm. and um, I'd never done that before. Um, so I brought it home, and I took pictures of it because I'm learning that everything that I bring, I have to take pictures of. <laughs> it was like the most amazing fish. Oh, I'm so glad. I've heard I've heard some really rave reviews about the black cod. Yeah, I it, haven't tried. We have a fish full of freezer or a freezer full of fish that we caught, so I haven't tried it yet. But I've heard it, it's good. It just melted in your mouth. It oh, was amazing. that amazing. Good. So I put it on my Facebook page as mm-hmm. as what I cooked, and got a lot of traction on you know people. Awesome. You know, uh, enjoying that recipe. Yeah. And uh, uh, it was a recipe that was shared to be by uh, by my friend. So uh, first time trying his recipe uh, with the fish from Pelican, and I put the plug in for Pelican. So when I when I look at your store, I don't just look at fish. I look at who is it that right. sent the fish to you? And then I went and did some research on pelican, and I was very impressed because uh, you know they're they're in Pelican, Alaska, mm-hmm. you know, and um, um, I, I just thought, wow, this this is a family-run operation. So I have to be honest; I don't know much about pelican because I buy all of our fish from Fish from Trish. Okay. Um, she's in Ketchikan, and she kind of has like a spider web of networks and communications down there that she works with. She knows that she does source stuff from outside of the state of Alaska. Um, she gets the most amazing lobsters from Maine and like mussels from Maine, or excuse me, um, scallops from Maine. She knows that we only carry stuff from within the state. So we put that element of trust in her that she only sends us that. Yes. Um, but I have noticed that there are some tags that come from other um 
producers. Yeah. Um, but again, we've we've had a lot of conversations about like what my standards are and what counts as in state and not. So she yeah. she adheres to that and tells me, she's like, well, I have it, but it's been processed outside the state. And I'm sorry. Yeah. We won't take it. Um, but so I. I can't speak to Pelican, but I know Fish from Trish and her story, which is just, it's a really cool story. She was on a fishing boat, like, I think, um, fished with, I think I'm mixing up my stories now. I think it's the salt company that they were fishing together and ended up getting married. But, um, but yeah, she worked as a fisherwoman for a number of years and um, started her own processing plant, and she's she's killing it down there. She's doing a fantastic job. Yeah. So, so she is your primary supplier she is, then? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. For for all your seafood. Correct. Okay. How about your meats? So the majority of the meat we get, we get our chickens and our turkeys from Sunnyside Up, which is in Delta Junction, and we get our red meat, um, pork and beef from uh, Alaska Natural Foods in Delta Junction as well. Okay. Both okay. are like small family owned farms that are just doing, doing the good work, you know? Yeah. Um, the Alaska Natural Foods has a really cool setup. They do a lot of pasture rotations, and they will like plant turnips and pea greens, um, and let the cattle let the cattle graze them and eat them down. And then, like after the first frost, the turnips will pop out of the ground. So the cows will do one more sweep, and all of their grains. Uh, so they don't they finish them on grain. Okay. Uh, but it's barley from the flour company, which is like just down the road. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they have an almost entirely closed, uh, closed loop ecosystem there, which is really cool. That's pretty cool. And their beef is amazing. Yeah. Very, very good. Yeah. So, so. Um, the, you know, we, we talked about, you know, how many people you have, and, and, and that's an impressive number. Thank you. Um, do, what are your challenges, and what have they been since you started? Mm. Any disasters? No, thankfully no disasters. <laughs> um, besides the bus breaking down a lot <laughs> when that was a thing. Um, no real disasters. Nothing that has felt, you know, there have been times where if I was short-staffed or, you know, something like that happened where I had to work longer hours to kind of pick up the slack. But there hasn't really been anything that has felt insurmountable. Yeah. There have been um, a couple of instances where I would say the biggest challenge is just keeping new food and keeping food on the shelves um, because there's not a whole lot made in the state. Uh, but even when you know, like even when I'm feeling down, like I, I mentioned, there's two businesses that have closed down this winter, and the uh, we used to get goat cheese from the Goat Dairy in Kodiak. They're the only USDA certified goat dairy in the state, which means that they are the only goat dairy that can wholesale because you need that certification to wholesale. And they recently told us that the cost of feed has gone so high that they are not able to sell to us anymore. They have to make their milk into ice cream, sell it on Kodiak because they get the most bang for their buck there, which makes sense. Um, And so I was just like, oh man, like that's just, that's so disappointing. You know, like why does it have to be so hard? Why does the feed have to be so expensive? Like why does this have to keep happening? And then the next day I got a call saying that the Alaska Range Dairy, which is our milk farm in Delta, is coming out with yogurt. And, you know, it was just one of those things where I was like, ah, a new product that, you know, we no longer have to buy at Fred's if we don't want to. Um, Like, that's amazing. So the good kind of balances out the bad. So do you think that um, the last couple years... um, well, and, and mostly, I would say last 12 months, you know, the 
you know, the inflation has been, you know, just kicking us, yeah. you know, and uh, not only for people who are just, you know, moms and dads trying to uh, buy groceries to feed themselves and their families, you know, it's affecting everybody. Mm -hmm. So um, are your, um, you know, growers um, feeling that challenge? And, yeah. and as such, are the price adjustments being made? There are some prices that will be going up this summer, though I've spoken with my primary farm, like the farm that produces the most produce for us, and I think they're gonna be able to keep their prices the same. Okay. Um, the cost of seeds has increased, the cost of transportation has increased, so there are definitely some variables. Um, you know, if there are any farms that use uh, like any sort of fertilizers or things like that, um, that has obviously skyrocketed, uh, which I most of our farms I don't, think they do so that's kind of something that won't affect them too bad but um, when so yeah it definitely does affect them though maybe not as much I think and you know it, it's the farmer the produce farmers I haven't heard from too too much about that increasing um, Bender Mountain like they save all of their own potatoes and then reseed them the next year so they're fine on seed potatoes, sure, that sure. kind of thing. Um, the meat farmers have had a hard time. Like our egg prices have gone up three or four dollars in the last three months, and it's because of the cost of feed. Mm -hmm. um, there's a farmer in Delta who provides feed for a lot of the community, and he lost most of his crop in a frost oh, in August. Oh. So now he's importing from the lower 48, which means everyone else is importing from the lower 48. And um, yeah, the, the prices have just gotten astronomical. And I think they're going to go up again, honestly, as we get further into winter and, you know, the, it just keeps piling up. Yeah. So yeah. it's unfortunate, isn't it? It is. It's really frustrating because I think the people that are making at the risk of sounding like an anti-corporate, like conspiracy theorist, I think the people who are making the most money off of it are the middlemen, like the, the, the major corporations who could probably afford to eat a little bit of a cost increase. Um, are choosing not to, mm -hmm. and they're choosing to raise their prices accordingly. Mm -hmm. um, and, so you know, smaller industries like uh, a farm in Delta or, you know, fisheries in, you know, in, in uh, southeast somewhere. I mean, Alaska is expensive to do business in anyway. Yeah. But then you have, you know, small proprietors like that, and, you know, their alternative is to shut down, which is right. not a not good for our whole state, right? right? And 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 for the whole food security, you know, yeah. side of it. So it's it's just um, interesting to me to see how hard these people work to continue to be sustainable. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just very impressive to me um, because it's it's a lot of work. It's so much work, you know, uh, yeah. and uh, and they choose to continue to do that. So I, I I believe what I'm trying to say is that when I go to a farmer's market or go to your store or to go to co-op and I see all of the stuff that's there, that's produced in Interior Alaska, you know, I'm just like so grateful and and I'm impressed uh, that that these things are brought to my table because you know. Uh, it's their hard work, yeah, you know? Totally, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you know that that purchase is going into the pocket of a family that is here in Alaska 
Yep. You know, and yeah, it's that part I really feel good about personally. Yeah. Yeah. When you expand, and I know you will, because you've already run out of space. <laughs> Do you think you will just expand if space comes available further down or in, in that complex, or are you looking somewhere else? Um, well, I would, you know, we hear, I, I don't know is the answer. Um, I sent out a survey, oh, probably about a year ago at this point, asking, you know, because I was kind of like, our, our lease is up in a year or thereabouts. So I was like, well, maybe I should start looking now and just see what's out there. Um, I sent out a survey asking how people would feel if we moved over to like the old Steese area. And <laughs> this survey went out to around 4,000 people. I got a thousand responses. That's excellent. <laughs> it was wild. And they were so vocal. Like people did not want it. And I respect that. Like I don't want to work on the old Steese corridor. It is a nightmare to get in and out of. Which, you know, now I'm like, well, if I don't want to work there, why would I look at a place there? But um, people did not want us to leave the west side of town, yeah. and they certainly didn't want us to go to the old Steez. So if or when the time comes um, for us to move, we will uh, certainly strive to stay on the west side. Or, like, I really like the College Road Corridor quite a bit. Yeah. Um, I feel like that kind of bridges the gap between east and west, and it's really easy to navigate, and a lot of people navigate it anyway. So um, I don't know exactly what the answer to that question is, um, but I do know that we'll like remain loyal to the people <laughs> who have gotten us to where we are now. Absolutely, so, yeah. yeah. And location is very important. It is right. You know, you so. want everybody to be able to find you and yeah. and not feel like it's out of their way to yeah. find you. And yeah. We, unfortunately, we do hear that a lot now. Mm -hmm. I do get from a lot of people that like, well, I love your store, but it's all the way on the other side of town, or I'm never on that side of town. So, um, they should live something. in Boston. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, yeah, I grew up like around the Chicago suburbs and I'm like, it was no big deal to drive an you know. hour to be yeah. anywhere. Yeah, yeah. My brother lives there and, and, uh, you know, we could be driving for an hour to go have lunch, you know, Easily. dinner. Yeah. yeah. And it, that lunch might only be 15 miles away. <laughs> yeah. 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 We're, we're, um, um, so blessed to, to have to have what we have here, we right? We really are. Yeah. So talk to me about um, how many employees do you have? I have four employees right now. They are the absolute best team a person could ask for. I am so, so thankful for them, and I am so blessed to have them and have found them. Um, so Jewel has been with me the longest. Uh, she was my either second or third. I hired her and one other woman at the exact same time. And that other woman was my second and third employee, her and Jewel. Um, so Jewel has been with me since November of 2020, okay. I believe. And um, she's absolutely amazing. She is like the primary person that, like, she's just got such an eye for like decorating and Display. displaying and curating displays. Um, Bess has been with me the second longest. And she was my first full-time employee, and she handles a lot of the behind-the-scenes stuff. She does some of the ordering for me, the pop-up calendar, things like that. Um, Johnny just started with us as my second full-time employee. He started with us in December, and uh, he's working for us now. Everyone thinks he's my husband. He's not. Um, <laughs> my husband doesn't usually work at the store. We were actually joking and thinking of putting that on name tag. Johnny, not Erica's husband. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then... Um, so yeah, Johnny is, uh, yeah, he's great with customers, 
very outgoing, very, just his interpersonal skills are amazing. And then Maisha is 17, and she needs a name tag that says not Erica's daughter, <laughs> apparently. Um, she is, she works part-time, and she is just, like, one of the sharpest kids I've ever met. Um, oh, cool. She's going to, I think, like, complete a degree at UAF before she's, like, 19. Um, That's amazing. I know. <laughs> yeah. She speaks, like, four different languages, three or four languages. Um, yeah. That's amazing. It's, I, I dread the day that she has to, like... <laughs> go do adult things finally um <laughs> but she's worked so hard for it she deserves it but um yeah so that's my team and uh, your husband is kind of peripherally involved supportive absolutely yeah. yeah um yeah so he works full-time at rei but he is you know frequently there like delivering things or fixing things or you know this that or the other um the biggest support that he has been over the last couple of years, though, is like through our home, you know, mm -hmm. making sure that I'm fed, <laughs> making sure I go to bed on time, taking care of the dogs, things like that. Yeah. So um, does his name tag say Erica's husband? <laughs> Erica's husband. It does. His, yeah. Um, no, but when if we ever do get to that point, it certainly would. <laughs> It'd be head dude in charge. Head dude <laughs> in charge. So, so that brings me to the head chicken charge. You right. know, was that just uh, a tongue in cheek? You know. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, okay. A friend of mine who works at another retail store in town was joking that she's you know the HCIC of her place, and I was like, oh, okay, cool. I can I can adapt that. <laughs> That's so. uh, one of those titles that I don't think in banking we have. You know, right. so. <laughs> yeah. I might float I that like, by someone. <laughs> I feel like it could apply to any industry. <laughs> it can. It, it really can. Um, so uh, walk me through your day. You, What happens? You know, how, you know, it's kind of personal. You know, when awesome. do you get up and, mm -hmm. and then what happens throughout the day and, and how does your day end? Sure. Um, most mornings I, well, like every other morning I'll get up and work out or if I'm not going to the gym, then I'll take the, try to take the dogs for a walk. Some mornings I kind of just hang out on the couch and read. <laughs> um, the coolest thing about this job is that my work schedule varies. So some days I'm working nine to four, some days I'm working 12 to 7.30. So some days I have an evening to myself, you know, or with Andrew at the house, that kind of thing. Some days I have mornings to myself at the house while he's at work. Um, so I really appreciate that variability. Uh, so it's not easy to say that like this is a standard day, but try to get up and do something. Um, when I get to work, it's every day is different, which is really just kind of cool. I love that. Um, some days I'm putting out fires and uh, dealing with you know inventory shortages or customer complaints or you know just things that have gone wrong. Other days I'm just kind of mingling on the floor, chatting with people. Other days I'll be in back like doing inventory control or getting things into our system. Um, some days I get to be the dreamer and forward focus and look at where we want to take the business and work towards that or do different projects. Um, so yeah, that's kind of, yeah. In the evenings, um, I'll, I lease a horse. Um, I ride dressage out at Druid Springs Equine Center. So I'll go ride him or hang out with the family and just kind of take it easy. Sounds like a full day. It's very full day. <laughs> yeah. Do do you have? Um, I know your store is open seven days a mm -hmm. week. Um, mm -hmm. So do you? Are you there seven days a no, week? No, I'm not. Okay. Um, and this is this is one thing that I've tried to honor from the get go is giving myself a weekend. Um, so Sunday Monday is my weekend, okay. which a little unconventional, but it matches up with Andrews and 
also like who wants to work a Monday if they don't have to. <laughs> so um, a lot of businesses close up on Mondays. Sundays and Mondays are our mm-hmm. slowest days. Yeah. So it makes sense for me to not be there those days. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I have my weekend. Um, I'm still available if needed by anyone, but I try to stay off the computer or stay out of the store, things like that. Okay. So. Do you have spoilage in, in your produce? Uh, I mean, your, your meats are frozen, right? right. So yep. uh, have you ever had, well, you had no disasters and we won't <laughs> look for any disasters. Right, yeah, you know? knock on wood. <laughs> uh, yes, but like spoilage for fresh produce. We do, okay. yeah. Um, I mean, I, I feel like any store does. I think because stuff is picked locally, it comes to us at like its freshest. Um, which usually means it has a longer shelf life, uh, but there are some things that, like broccoli, is really difficult. It goes yellow. It doesn't matter how early or late you pick it; like it's going to go yellow within, you know, a week maybe. Um, so we do, we do have spoilage. What we try to do is when we see things start to turn or start to kind of degrade just a little bit, we have our ugly produce section. So we sell produce at a discount. <laughs> Um, and then if it doesn't move, then we either donate to the food bank or we give it to, if it's like really just not good, um, Maisha, you know, our, our 17 year old employee, she has chickens, so she keeps a bucket in back and we, um, give her the produce to take home to her birds. Oh, so we try not to throw any food away. Mm -hmm. Um, but just like any store, we do have stuff that doesn't necessarily go out the door to customers. Mm Mm-hmm. Because, you know, it's it's that whole food concept, right? I mean, if, if nobody can consume it, you know, then there's other uses for it. Right, and absolutely. And it sounds like you have. We try to. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Okay. Um, yeah, so far it's been working pretty well. Um, you sell a lot of chocolates. We do. <laughs> um, very tempting. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> to, to go in there and... Um, I noticed uh, um, a, a lot of them, um, of course, they're all local, you know, by local, I mean state of Alaska, right. you know. Yeah. Um, is that a, a big selling product for Absolutely. you? Absolutely, yes. Yeah. Um, so we have, my personal favorite is the chocolate tins from the Alaska Salt Company. Yes. They're so good. Uh, <laughs> and then Chugach chocolate would yes. be a, a second close favorite of mine. Um, yeah, we go through a lot of their chocolate. Yeah. So both, and then Thea Broma and Bird Wings as well. Um, so those are the four chocolate options that we have. But uh, yeah, we, we place orders from them fairly consistently. So I, I have a confession. I buy chocolate for myself. Fantastic. And because my husband finds it no matter how I hide it. So I <laughs> go to Fred's and buy chocolate for him from there. <laughs> <laughs> Put it in the refrigerator so he can spot it. Awesome. Then, then he doesn't look for my stash. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah, it's Very really cool. good. It's, it's really good chocolate. So you are well recognized in this industry, and and uh, you have um, accomplished so much in a in a short time frame. Yeah. Right. It's it's been less than three years. Yeah. Which is. Actually, well, I guess the a week ago would have been our three-year anniversary, which I totally missed. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's been three years. Yeah, it's it's. Um, I mean, it's it's amazing, and 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 it, it is uh, wonderful, right? Thank you. Because I don't know how many businesses can say that. You know that they would be this accomplished, this successful, and this recognized because you've been awarded 
Um, <laughs> I mean, I see the two carrots hanging. Right. Yeah. So give me some background on those. So the Golden Carrot Award, um, for anyone who's not familiar with the Alaska Grown $5 Challenge, uh, the $5 Challenge is a challenge to consumers to spend $5 a week on Alaska-grown produce if the entire state of Alaska did that for only six months out of the year. And it's, again, only $5 a week, so that's a bag of carrots, you know. Um, it would generate $33 million into our local economy. Oh, wow. Yeah. So uh, that's a big push by the Department of Ag. The Golden Carrot Award is a challenge to retailers to uh, display the Alaska-grown logo, highlight Alaska-grown produce, and you also kind of get points in the competition for carrying like a variety. So if you have carrots, cabbage, potatoes, that would be three points maybe. I'm not sure exactly mm -hmm. what their scoring is. Mm -hmm. um, if you had, you know, 10 different types of produce, that's more points, that kind of thing. Um, so we were the first business in the interior and we were the first small business to win this award. And we've won it two years in a row now. That's so, very awesome. Thank you. Especially since you've just been there for three years. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> Who do you think is your competition? Um, you know, I think in a market of this size, I don't really think we have competition. Okay. I think there is enough market space, and maybe this would change one day. And if it did, that would actually be kind of fantastic. It is. Um, yeah. Because that would mean that we have enough being produced and enough being sold that there actually is competition. Um, but right now, I, I wouldn't look at any one store or a couple of stores and be like, they are my direct competition. I need to keep an eye on what they're doing because there's enough to go around. Um, but just like any market, we do have stores that sell, you know, along the same lines as us. Um, Tommy G's definitely has like, and I absolutely love his meat. Um, I shop there when I can, uh, but that has affected our meat sales to a certain degree. Mm -hmm. Um, the co-op, I wouldn't, uh, people either like shop with us, with them or at both. So, um, again, I don't really look at them as competition, more of just the a similar store working towards the same goal. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the Great Alaska Bowl Company is obviously a really cool store that we have a lot of overlap in our products. Um, they, I think they support all Alaskan or mostly Alaskan um, and locally made products. So those are kind of like the three. But they don't do produce. They right? don't do produce, no. Yeah. They, they do the gifts. And they do have a lot of food stuff, but mostly gifts. Yeah. So. Yeah, I haven't been there in a long, long time. You should go check them out. Yeah. Yeah, they just redid some of their shelving and stuff. It looks really good. Oh, that's really cool. <laughs> Well, um, we talked about um, outgrowing, you know, space, uh, which would be your um, immediate next challenge. Yes. Um, but what else? I mean, if if you know, you look at from a visionary perspective, what do you see happening? Let's say in two years, what what do you see happening to your store? Um, growth would be great. Uh, however, when you limit yourself geographically that growth is going to stop at some point. So that's something that I haven't had to think about yet, but has been kind of like nagging the back of my brain is what happens when there just isn't enough produce grown to support the customer base that wants to shop with us. Mm -hmm. um, one of the goals that I had in starting this business was to highlight to people that last grown or that locally grown in general doesn't necessarily have to be more expensive. Sometimes and oftentimes it is more expensive than what you see produced in mass quantities in, in the box stores, but not so much more expensive, especially these days, uh, that it's, you know, it's, it's, you're not looking at double the price, triple yeah. the price, things yeah. like that. It's like maybe a dollar, a couple difference, a difference of a couple dollars. Um, and actually there have been some times where our prices have been lower than Fred's. 
for our produce. That's interesting. So, yeah, yeah. Um, so one of the things I think about is, so as people realize that, and it's not such a big hit to their wallet to come shop locally, um, there's going to come a day where I think we just may not be able to support everyone that wants to sell with or buy with us. And I don't know what I would do at that point. I have no idea. Yep. So I think at that point it would just be we would source what we could and it's a first come first serve basis type deal. Um, would know. your model change? You know, I've toyed with the idea of, I was just talking about this the other day, um, because there have been some companies and there will be more. Uh, one of the challenges that we do face, and this will probably be the next poll that I send out, is that if you are a manufacturing company, you're making some sort of shelf-stable food. If you want to go national, you are shipping products up here to Alaska, you're making your product, and then you are shipping it back out to other states, other stores in other states. And it is so much more expensive. What you could do instead, and some companies have done this, um, is you find a manufacturing plant in another state that's more centrally located, like Texas or somewhere in the Midwest or something like that, and you give them your recipe, your specs, your brand information, they make it, and then they ship it for you, right? Mm -hmm. um, so there's a couple of companies that either started in Alaska or are still kind of like the brand is based in Alaska, even though the product isn't made in Alaska. So we've kind of toyed with the idea of starting a snowbird section, is what we would call it, <laughs> right? So someone that has ties to the state or lives in the state, but maybe the product isn't made there. And it would be a section that's clearly labeled, clearly marked. Um, that being said, so if, if, I, if we do decide to pursue that seriously, we would send out a poll, see how people felt about it, and probably kind of go along with what they said. But I also just really like being able to say that everything we sell is local, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know? Um, we could pro we could source produce from Washington and go with ethical farms and you know things like that, but I I don't know if I want to. Yeah, honestly. Yeah, it it definitely would um, steer you away from the whole mission of what you started. Um, yeah, and and that's difficult to do. It is. You know. I mean, if we you know small farms in Washington are facing the same struggles to a certain degree that small farms up here are. And that is that uh, they're being bought out by larger farms. They're being squeezed out by larger farms. Uh, the farmers themselves are aging out, that kind of thing. So if we did choose to work with small farms in Washington, the impact, though it isn't local, the impact would still be felt, right? Um, just not by people in our state. Mm -hmm. So it wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing, I don't think. Mm -hmm. uh, but it would take away, I think, a little something from the store. Mm-hmm. So. Because, you know, at the end of the day, uh, we want to be proud of everything right. that's Alaskan. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's, that's difficult. Um, do you think among the growers there is um, uh, desire to promote more growers, you know, to expand? I think so, okay. yeah. Um, especially, you know, we're dealing with our own population of aging farmers here in Fairbanks um, and throughout the state. Um, and I think that, I, I hesitate to speak for them directly, but I do think from what I've seen, there is a desire in one form or another to kind of have that legacy passed on. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, there's actually one of my favorite farms that I love promoting is Offbeat Farms. And uh, he is a younger guy, moved up here, I think like three years ago now from the Midwest. 
and all he grows is root crops. And he does that specific, he has like no desire to grow zucchini, lettuce, you know, things like that. He wants to grow things that will expand our food selections through the winter, which yeah. I think is amazing. Yeah. Um, but he's going to be one of those farmers over the next decade or so that uh, starts filling, filling niches left by folks who want to take a vacation. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, um, and I, I do see him getting a lot of support from, from other farmers around him, some that are more established and have been here a little longer. So Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, um, mm -hmm. uh, it appears that there's a lot of people that are interested in, you know, farm-to-table you know, concepts, there's cookbooks about that. Yep. So there's a huge movement about it. There is. Yeah. Um, it's definitely growing. Yeah. The farm to table movement is growing. Everywhere uh, Andrew and I travel, we try to seek out just farm to table restaurants. And I know we're, you know, we're not exclusive in that. They wouldn't be popping up everywhere if we were. Sure. Um, so yeah, it's really encouraging to see that, to see the growth of farmers markets, the growth of CSAs. Um, I hope that trend continues. I really do. You mentioned travel. So when you travel, you have a, a deputy head chicken charge. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> um, Bess and Jewel, well, and they all really, all four of them take responsibility. They take ownership of what they're doing. And um, it's actually fairly easy. I hope I'm not, you know, evoking any envy in the <laughs> business owner because this is something that I know might be a unique situation. But um, it's fairly easy for me to step out out of the picture for a week or 10 days. Oh, that's great. It's really great. I have a lot of work waiting for me when I get back because there are certain things that only I do still. Um, but the day-to-day -day operations, I typically don't worry about when I'm not there. Those, they know their job. Um, they know the job of the people around them. That's amazing. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, yeah you're, you're, just, you're very done. fortunate. Yeah. I, I am. I really am. You get an occasional email or a text message, you yeah, know, if absolutely. there's if there's a problem of some sort. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm glad to hear great. that. I'm, I'm glad to hear that that you are able to do some. I mean, I to me it appears that your business is fun for you. A lot it of is. work, Thank but you. it is yes. fun for you. Yeah. I mean, one of my questions was going to be, well, what do you do for fun? But it sounds like <laughs> work. This is fun, you know. And it you is. mentioned your horse riding. Yeah. Um, do you, um, do other activities? Uh, yeah, my husband and I get out skiing. Uh, actually, just this past weekend, we rented the Lower Angel Creek cabin out in Chena Hot Springs, like the, the wreck area. We skied out there for a night. Um, you know, we, we're collectively, yeah. like, we are so lucky to live in Alaska because we have so many opportunities to, to mm -hmm. go do these cool things. Uh, so we try to do those as we're able to, while also balancing, you know, the self-care days that require that you sit on the couch in your PJs for <laughs> a day. We all need that, don't exactly. we? Exactly. <laughs> you came here through Army, right? I did, yes. And, and where were you? Uh, so I spent seven years on active duty as a logistics officer. Uh -huh. And I started my career in Virginia, uh, lived in Germany for four years, did a tour in Iraq while I was in Germany, went back to Virginia after that, and then came up here. Okay. So I separated from the military in 2015, early 2015, uh, went back to UAF to just, you know, I, I wanted, I got a wildlife degree because I thought that I wanted to do that as a career, but through the course of that degree, it gave me a chance to kind of just regroup, learn how to be a civilian, um, decompress a little bit, and then it helped me kind of find my calling doing this. 
Where so. were you born and raised? Um, so my mom was also in the Army. Okay. So I was born in Indiana, and but I have lived in Virginia and Colorado and Germany as a child. Um, but I went to high school in Chicago, and south side of Chicago, and then went to college at University of Wisconsin-Madison. So You've been all over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Chicago and Wisconsin are where I kind of consider home, though. So what, do, what does your mom think of all this? She loves it. She's in, both my parents are incredibly supportive. Um, they've both, uh, my dad came up for the first Golden Carrot Award. My mom came up for the second Golden Carrot Award. Uh, one of, my parents are divorced, so one of them came up for like our soft opening in the bus. One came up for the grand opening in the bus. <laughs> so yeah, they're, they're both incredibly supportive. And you have siblings? I have one younger sister, yeah. Okay. And, and she is... Uh, so... Is she here? No, no, no. Oh, okay. She lives in Chicago. Um, okay. She's an environmental engineer. Oh. Um, she actually was the inspiration for the farm. Um, so her and her husband started a vertical hydroponics farm in okay. Chicago. Okay. And they called it Off the Root. <laughs> so when we started our farm, we called it the Frozen Root Farm. And then the Roaming Root, obviously, you know, that yeah. came from that. So... Uh, yeah, she was actually kind of a, a big influence in us trying to do this. So That's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, thank you. I really appreciate the background and, and the conversation and where will it go, you yeah. know? <laughs> so, yeah. And, and hopefully um, we'll continue to, to stay in touch. And once you do get somewhere else, you know, we'll do another segment. And, uh, and, and And talk <laughs> about, you know, the new phase of Rooming Thank you very That's much awesome. for your time. Thank you. Take care. <laughs> I'd like to thank Erica Moeller for sharing her story with me. Like many places, Interior Alaska is embracing its many challenges and forging ahead to address food security and sustainability. You can find this episode on Podbean, Apple, Spotify, Google, iHeart, or wherever you get your podcasts. My deep gratitude to my group of supporters. You know who you are. To Andrew Heckman for writing the beautiful music for this podcast. And to the folks at Denali State Bank. Their commitment to local enterprise, community, and to supporting the emerging sustainable food growing industry is unparalleled. The success of our community is their success. I hope you join me as I continue to explore agricultural and food issue in interior Alaska. Thank you.